BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is going to be one of those moments that goes viral. It's Thursday, March 16th, and you found yourself another episode of The Ben Jarofsky Show. On today's show, journalist, podcaster, jack of all trades, Mark Sims. The Ben Jarofsky Show brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, and so much more. Hey, uh, do you like columns from Ben Jarofsky? Yeah, those can all be found over at uh, chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky. All you got to do is type in J-O-R-A, B is in victory, S-K-Y. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Walk It Back Thursday, and here's why. Because at Tuesday's forum, I think it was, I think it was Tuesday's forum, I lost track of time, uh, mayoral former Brandon Johnson, Paul Vallis, uh, kind of walked it back on their attitudes about policing in the city of Chicago. Let's just set it up a little bit. The moderators of this forum, Laura Washington, shout out Laura Washington, my old friend from way, way, way back in the day. Uh, and Eric Zorn, columnist, former columnist of the Chicago Tribune, a former basketball coach to one of our distinguished guests, uh, and uh, quite a guitar player, uh, Eric Zorn. And I just did an interview with Eric about three months ago where we ended up yelling at each other. So I urge everybody to check it out. Two old white guys yelling at each other uh, is the name of the uh, podcast. So the, uh, the issue, uh, the main issue at Tuesday's forum uh, was policing in the city of Chicago. And uh, in that forum, Brandon Johnson uh, and Paul Vallis sort of walked back a little bit from their original stances or some of the comments they've made in the past. Uh, so in the case of Brandon Johnson, he walked back a little bit on defund the police. You know, he, he said, well, I never said that was my uh, political objective as sort of a goal or it's a slogan. Or He just kind of disassociated himself from the phrase defund the police. Uh, in the case of Paul Vallis, uh, who is the law and order candidate uh, in this race, more or less, that's uh, how he projected himself. Uh, he um, walked back from the phrase of take off the handcuffs. In other words, the police, this is an image, ladies and gentlemen. Our candidates are getting poetic and using metaphors. So the notion that police are handcuffed, uh, and then if you unlock the handcuffs and police are allowed to be police, then they'll do some policing and crime will disappear in the city of Chicago and Chicago will become the safest city in America, which is what Paul Vallis' stated goal is. Uh, defund the police, of course, is the whole movement that emerged in the and right after George Floyd's murder. Uh, in which money that's normally spent on police would be spent on other things like, I don't know, counseling for the mentally ill, social workers, uh, and uh, that police, we would not spend so much time just locking people up and maybe it would not be a good idea in wake of watching uh, George Floyd's murder by a cop to talk about taking the handcuffs off the cop because clearly the handcuffs weren't on that cop 
when he was doing the murder of George Floyd. So that's kind of the backdrop. And they're all walking it away. Uh, and uh, immediately everybody jumped in to see what it means. Uh, Eric Zorn, uh, in his column uh, that he writes, uh, pointed out that uh, both candidates were walking away, walking back. Uh, and then he had many, many examples of how they're walking it back uh, to chide them in, in a way uh, for not staying true to what they believe. Uh, Peter Cunningham, uh, another old baby boomer friend of this show, uh, had a different take. And Peter Cunningham, just so you know, ladies and gentlemen, is a speechwriter and a strategist uh, who's worked for Daly, Arnie Duncan, uh, Mayor Daly, uh, Richard M. Daly, that is. And I always like to say he's like the brains behind the power elite in the city of Chicago. I'm not saying they don't have brains, uh, but they're kind of like, if I could just show my bias, they're kind of like a greedy bunch that's looking out for each other, you know? And, and, and Peter is the kind of the guy that like, takes what they're doing and softens it up a little bit, puts, you know, smooths down the edges so it's more palatable. He's also the kind of guy that reaches out to lefties like me. So I kind of appreciate a very tremendous appreciation for Peter Cunningham and the role he plays in the city of Chicago. It's sort of like the bridge between the power elite and malcontents like myself. Uh, and his position that he put out in a tweet was uh, that this was a sign that they were both running toward the middle. Uh, as we head down to the final stretch of the campaign. I think PC is correct uh, in this point. I think that both campaigns have concluded that they do not, at this moment, have the votes they need to be victorious. I think that the internal polling that their campaigns have, which they never reveal, by the way, rarely reveal, you never know what their truth is when it comes to a poll, but the internal polling shows that uh, it's still unclear who will be victorious uh, in the April 4th election. Uh, and that's very much in the hands of the undecided voter. <laughs> I always make fun of the undecided voter. I cannot make my mind up. I just, I need more time. Uh, I shouldn't make fun of undecided voters because I'm very much like an undecided tester when it came to standardized tests that I would be like staring at the question for hours. Like, oh, could it be A, it could be B, it could be C. Oh man, what am I gonna do now? So I kind of see, I, I, I kind of have sympathy for the undecided voter. Uh, even though in this case, it's like, I don't know, guys, not a lot of di <laughs> there's quite a bit of difference between Paul Vallis and uh, Brandon Johnson. Uh, maybe it's time you started making up your mind. So the undecided voters undecided. And so, yeah, you got to move toward the center. Uh, and it clearly shows that the lock them up attitude uh, that Paul Vallis displayed, the bravado that he displayed in the first round where he's got to lock them up. I'm going to make Chicago safe again. I don't know if that's going to get you the 50% you need, 50.1%, whatever it is that you need to be elected mayor of the city of Chicago. And as we all know, defund the police is a very problematic, to put it mildly, slogan uh, for anybody running on, uh, unless you expand the voter base. And I don't believe at this stage in the campaign, the voter base has been expanded enough to guarantee that Brandon Johnson can be elected mayor of the city of Chicago, talking about defund the police. So he has to kind of play to the center as well. So I think that PC, you're on to something. I think that is clearly a case of both campaigns moving toward the middle. Uh, and um, it's interesting uh, the way that Paul Vallis, uh, this is classic Paul Vallis. Uh, he sort of denied that he ever said, uh, take the handcuffs off. That's uh, how he dealt with it. And I've been dealing with Paul Vallis for a long, long time. I had to just smile. Uh, Paul Vallis 
is the maestro of saying a million different things <laughs> and then denying he said them. And then it's up to you to like pin him down on it. Uh, shout out to Eric Zorn for doing a pretty good job of pinning it down. So I think that's uh, where we're at, ladies and gentlemen, as we head down the, the stretch. They're moving toward the middle because uh, no one is the clear w uh, leader in the polls and no one believes that it's hardcore base has enough votes uh, to put him over the top. All right, without further ado, I'm going to ask uh, my distinguished guest to introduce himself. We're kind of like a, doing things a little differently here. We have some mystery, mystery guests before we bring on the great Mark Sims uh, to talk about politics in the city of Chicago. Uh, podcaster Mark Sims uh, will be on in about 15 minutes or so. So I'm going to ask my distinguished mystery guest to introduce himself so they could do a little uh, shameless promotion. Uh, so like, which mystery guest should I ask to introduce for? All right. I'm going to go with mystery guest uh, whose initials are R.P. to introduce herself. Take it away, R.P. Thank you so, so much for having me, uh, having us. I'm Rachel Pegram, and uh, along with me and Rachel Jarofsky and Karen Chi, we're coming to town. I myself am a comedian, stand-up. We all are. Um, we're all established, uh, incredible writers and performers. Um, I myself have written for uh, shows like Harley Quinn and Keenan uh, for NBC uh, and Killing It on Peacock and have been uh, an actress as well. So that's a little about me. And then I think I should give it away to uh, one of my incredible performers, also my longtime best friend, uh, Rachel Jarofsky. Thank you so much for that gracious introduction, uh, Rach. Uh, my name is Rachel Jarofsky, um, comedian, uh, daughter to Ben Jarofsky, and also social media social media manager for the Ben Jarofsky Show on uh, Instagram, at Benny J Show. Uh, and yeah, Rachel really said it better than I ever could. We got a show. We got a show for you, Chicago. And it is this Saturday at uh, the Color Club um, on the, I, I would call it the kind of northwest side of Chicago. Not too far west though. Um, would have been fine if it was. Uh, that's not me knocking the northwest side. That's just me saying where the show is. Uh, but yes, we actually are, to be real, our APM show sold the F out. So we've added a show for you, Chicago, because that's how much we care. So we've got a, a late night show at 10 p.m. Uh, me, Rachel Jarowski, Rachel Pegram, um, uh, Karen Chi, and then uh, uh, who, Rich, remind me of, remind the masses, the Ben heads out there of our opener. We got a Chicago based opener for you. Yes, for the eight o'clock show, we have Victor Carlesi, and uh, for the 10 p.m. show, we have Yoonji Kim. And I apologize, I'm pretty sure that's how their names are pr both pronounced, but um, the we're really excited to have them both. They're local, they're funny as hell, uh, they're really, really awesome, and it's gonna be a great show, so people yeah. should come out. Uh, and there's also Karen, who could not be here, right? The, the third comedian was unable mm -hmm. to make this show. Uh, so, uh, it'll be a, a lot of laughs. Uh, so there's the eight o'clock show on Saturday is sold out, but there are tickets for the 10 o'clock show. Is that correct? Rachel? I, when I say Rachel, either one can answer because they're both named Rachel, um, makes it convenient and easy. 
for baby boomer podcasters. So uh, the 10 o'clock show still has tickets available. Is that correct, Rachel? Yes, that is correct. I mean, what do you, Ray, what are you supposed to do when you sell out the 8 p.m. other than add a 10 p.m.? You got to add a 10. What are you going to do? You're going to, oh, you're going to turn people away? No, they should see it. They should see us. And, uh, and, and, and just so people know, you know, traditionally speaking, a late night show, there's about to be some fun, freaky, some fun, freaky stuff happening. Okay. 10 p.m. show for all my Chicago, Chi-Town freaks. Okay. Chi-Town freaks pull up <laughs> to 10 p.m. at the Color Club. You know, Rachel, talk to them about the difference between an 8 p.m. and a 10 p.m. real quick, because it's going to get juicy. Listen, I love an 8 p.m. crowd. Okay. And nothing against y'all with your button up suits and sort of ties and little top hats. Okay, I get it. I get it. You got your monocle in. I, I understand. You want to have fun, you're letting loose. But the 10 p.m. jacket's off on the floor, stomping around. You know, 10 p.m. We got the burlesque out. You got a nipple or two. Who knows? Okay. 10 p.m. is going a little different. So if you move a little differently, if you walk a little wide, you got to come to the 10 p.m. All my wide walkers pull up and free the nip at our 10 p.m. show at the Color Club Chicago. Okay, Color Club Chicago. You might be saying, where in God's green earth is that? I'm going to tell you, it's at 4146 North Elston, Chicago, Illinois, 60618. So pull up or be pulled up on. Just kidding. That's not a threat. We would never, ever hurt you by coming to our show. <laughs> you, you, you got a nipple or two. Uh, that is quite a line. All right. Uh, so before we let you go, I need to get you to weigh in. Uh, pretty much every guest this week has been required to weigh in on this uh, bit. Uh, this clip uh, that uh, my listeners, several listeners were kind enough to send to me from Twitter. Uh, and uh, so I'll just do a setup, uh, Rachel's, plural Rachel's. Uh, and to, so you understand the, the context of this clip, and then you get to riff on, riff on it. All right. So uh, the host is Brianna Joy Green, uh, excuse me, Brianna Joy Gray, Gay, cannot read my own writing, uh, who is a leftist, a lefty. Yes, lefties. Uh, she used to be uh, a Bernie Sanders press secretary. So you can see she's very much of the leftist persuasion. Her guest was a, uh, I hesitate to call her a MAGA person, but she's a right winger, conservative, Bethany Mandel. Um, Randall, uh, who um, it's got a real strong aversion to the concept of quote unquote woke. Okay. Uh, and so uh, Mandel was a guest on the Brianna Joy Gay show, and uh, she kept making references to woke uh, in a disparaging way, which set up this classic moment when Brianna Joy sort of interrupted the interview with a question. Producer Chris, play the clip. Americans consider themselves very liberal and probably fewer of them consider themselves to be woke. And so, you know, when, when well, we talk about traditional... What does that mean to you? Right, could, could, would you mind defining woke? Because it's come up a couple of times and I just want to make sure we're on the same page. So, I mean, woke is sort of the idea that... Um, I, this is going to be one of those moments that goes viral. I mean, woke is something that's very hard to define, and we've spent an entire chapter defining it. It is sort of the understanding that we need to re -to totally reimagine and re re redo society in order to create hierarchies of oppression. Um, sorry, I... It's it's hard to explain in a 15-second soundbite. Yeah, look, it's time. Americans... <laughs> 
Thank you. I, this big time shout out to Brianna uh, Joy Gay, who at the end goes, you can take your time. <laughs> we'll just sit here all day. Watch you. Uh, habita, habita. Uh, 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 I use this all the time. I, I have no idea what it means. All right, Rachel's. Uh, I want you to weigh in on this, uh, your uh, initial thoughts, and then perhaps your definition of woke. Uh, so which Rachel should I go with first? I went with Rachel P. first last time. Rachel J., your thoughts. I mean, look, the the world really took a turn for the worse when white America became familiar with the world woke, with the word woke. It just, I mean, when did this happen? Maybe like... 2019 or something it's like white america caught up very late i remember when i learned about the word woke it was off the erica badu album the 08 erica badu album new america part one and there's this song master teacher uh that uh is just th that there's a line in it that's like it's like a refrain that's like I stay woke. Do you remember that? Do you know that song, Rachel? Mm -hmm. um, that's when I first learned about it. And via, I think I was in high school, me and my mom listened to this album in the car. And then it was like, okay, 12 years later, now we're talking about this. Now we have like all these like right wing white Republican pundits like talking about it or like even moderate Democrats who are like, we need to come to the center of the aisle, uh, like lamenting, quote, woke culture. So, yeah, I don't know. It's just become like a, uh, what's that called? A dog whistle for just like, um, like uh, calling, like calling out racism, I think, like, or talking about racism at all. I think it's become a dog whistle. I would define like this woman's version of woke as okay. What was this woman's name, Dad? Which one? Very wise. <laughs> she wasn't very wise, but like she might have well have uh, been. Uh, Mandel. Mandel. Okay, very wise junior, aka Mandel. I would say when she talks about uh woke, it's like don't say racism. So it's basically like uh a dog with what she's really saying is let's not talk about race or racism and let's uh away and like she's defining woke as any attempts to talk about the united states in its authentic with with respect to like the history that it authentically has um yeah that's her that i think that's what she means about when she says woke it's like let's not talk about the United States racist uh, colonizing path with the authenticity that it deserves, um, which I guess still sounds a little bit subjective. But um, so, yeah, I think that's I feel like how she's referencing it, how I think about woke is, um, I guess, is the inverse of that, which is just acknowledging the racist history of this country and its current it's how that manifested in the past and how it's currently manifesting um but honestly like i maybe think we should create a law where like white people maybe aren't allowed to say woke so <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's maybe hot. so aoc <laughs> let's go ahead let's introduce that in the congress uh all right uh rachel p your thoughts 
Yeah, I mean, I agree why people should stop using woke. I think there was a problem when, uh, like, around that same time in, like, 2014, when, like, Woke Bay really had a moment. It's like, this is my Woke Bay. And I'm like, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I feel like it really cutesified woke when I think, like... <laughs> Woke is actually a term of action. I feel like it's a term of like being aware of being present of like staying like knowing what's going on around you like stay woke is like what it is like don't be sleep to what the issues like stay woke about what's going on. And so I even think it's even broader to me like that being woke is just like don't let things pass you by don't become complacent like be aware of what's going on. And I think like when like progressive people here or not progressive people and like conservative people hear that i think they hear change and they don't want change and so it's like anything that has to do with wokeness means that change is coming that things are going to look different and feel different and be different from how they want them to be so it's triggering for them because they're like we don't want to see change so to me wokeness is just like movement it's like it's forward it's it's change it's like it is like a sign that like it's a sign that like we're going to be talking about race we're going to be talking about gender we're going to be talking about like sexuality like i think it's a sign that like things are moving um and clearly she doesn't know how to define it because she's just scared <laughs> of like change happening so she's like i don't know what it is but i don't like it it's yeah. scary <laughs> to her um but not to me <laughs> yeah I, I i uh i get such a kick out of that her inability to define a term uh, that is used all right all the time. When, in, in the next part of this interview, with Mark Sims, we're going to go through some of the proposals in Florida uh, to eradicate any discussion of race from social studies textbooks. Uh, so, for instance, when uh, the social studies textbook for like fifth graders, I want to say, grammar school kids, talks about Rosa Parks, uh, they're not going to be allowed to mention that she, well, Africa, she's African American. And so she was asked to move to the back of the bus, and she bravely said no, with, I'm sorry, without mentioning why she was asked mm-hmm. to move to the back of the bus. Because if, if you mention why she was asked to move to the back of the bus, then you're going to do two things. One, uh, make white children uh, feel bad, uh, as if they're responsible for uh, asking Rosa, demanding that Rosa Parks move to the back of the bus, and to make what's well, kind of convoluted uh, what the conservatives say it will do to black people if they hear black children, if they hear their it's kind of a convoluted explanation. I mean, we um, can assume maybe the black children already know. It's like when we talk to like, it's like when people are like, hey, when do we talk to white kids about? Uh, race, you know what I mean, in that whole debate, and then it's like no one's really saying when do you we talk to black kids about race because they're already being talked to about it. It's like, it's like I don't, I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's wrong for me to assume that black students will already be hearing about it, but like, in my brain, it's just different conversations in different households depending on the race. Yeah, well, uh, it is. It, uh, it. I'm really struggling because it's so hard to define. Uh, Rachel and Rachel, what it is that uh, conservatives say talking about race will do to black children. Paul Vallis weighed in on this, The uh, one of the mayoral candidates for the city of Chicago, uh, when he was criticizing critical race theory. Uh, and uh, this is the man that Chicago seems so eager to elect as its mayor at the moment. Uh, and um, so he opined that 
uh, if black children are uh, exposed to critical race theory, uh, they will turn on their parents. And I'm not making this up, ladies and gentlemen. This is the views of Paul Vallis because black children. Black children. Yeah. White children hear their parents talk about critical race theory. They will be, or if they're exposed to critical race theory, they'll be so outraged at their parents' role in uh, Jim Crow, et cetera, and so forth, that they will rebel against their parents and they won't do the things their parents tell them. So like if the parent says, eat broccoli, they'll say, no, I'm not eating broccoli because you did not defy Jim Crow. Uh, and uh, black children will be so outraged at their parents for not rising up against uh, Jim Crow that uh, one thing will lead to another and they will turn to a life of crime. I am not uh, making this. I could play you if you wanted. His, you hear him saying, I feel I've done an accurate job of paraphrasing the man that Chicago is determined to elect as its next mayor. Uh, his attitude as to why critical race theory is. So I think Rachel P and Rachel J. Like the real lesson is once conservatives are forced to confront the idiocy of what they're saying, they fall apart because there really is no logical, justifiable explanation for what they believe in. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. there, it's really confusing, too, because they grew up under a system where they learned about Rosa Parks and she was black and they grew up under a system where they learned about all of these things. And like now they want to take it away. So you're creating a generation of people like you don't know what they're how they're going to grow up and be. You assume that it's going to make them less like, you know, like woke and liberal and left leaning. But like it could make them just as much because they don't know things that they think they should have learned when they were children. Yeah. Rachel P., by the way, do you think there's any universe in the world where a white child will rebel from her parents or his parents uh, and not eat his or her broccoli because they're exposed to critical race theory? Just need to wonder if that world exists anywhere. Mm, I would say that's probably the last thing that would ever happen ever. That sounds so fantastical and made up. It's not based in reality. Yeah. Uh, and yet, Rachel J., that is the man that Chicago is so eager to elect as its mayor. And I just want to say that I really think that Rachel Rachel P. hit the nail on the head with her definition of woke of forward as forward movement. Uh, not to uh, not to get so school. Let's look at the lyrics. But I pulled up Master Teacher, the Erica Badu song that I referenced, and the and the song starts off. I am known to stay awake, a beautiful world I'm trying to find. I've been in search of myself, a beautiful world I'm trying to find. So it's this, it's she, it's, it's very much this idea that of what Rachel's saying is that being woke, staying awake is uh, learning about, <clears throat> is really associated with forward momentum as it pertains to yourself. Growing, at, growing uh, individually, and also imagining a world in which you can reach your fullest potential um, and many can reach their fullest potential. So, you know, I try to stay woke as a, as a worker, as, a, as an independent contractor, as a, as a Jew, as a, uh, you know, queer woman. It's like, I think you're right. There's different, uh, 
you operate differently in the world based on your identity and being woke uh, is considering how your how what your experience might be in the world with relation to those identities. Um, so that is my school moment of pulling up master teacher. All right, very good. Uh, Rich P, anything you want to add before uh, I let you two great comics off to your world? Um, uh, I think conservatives need to maybe take some classes and get some training, because if you're going to try and spread all this kind of ideology, like at least be ready, be woke, you know, be ready. They don't want it, you know, but... Yeah, that's true. She was uh, asleep when her moment came yes. to explain woke. I, yeah. I'll tell you this. I don't use the word unless I'm referring to uh, the bizarre nature of MAGA America. You get what I'm saying? It's just like, because clearly the there's no like agreed opinion on what woke is. And so largely it's now just a hammer in which uh, MAGA America is trying to pound, <laughs> relentlessly pound everybody they disagree with. Uh, and um, I, I don't know, man. I just find, you know what, really, I'll leave it at this. Really, it irritates us when comedians get up. And, and this, I, I mean, I shouldn't head down this path because we got to bring on Mark Sins. But when comedians get up and denounce woke America, mm -hmm. I'm like, I've heard so many different comics do that, Rachel P and Rachel J, over the last year or so. You know, you can't say anything anymore. Everybody's getting upset. Oh, my God. Well, for the good old days when I could just insult everybody. I, I don't know. I, um, I, that's, that's like a whole other uh, street uh, road we shouldn't go down because we're running out of time. All right, Rachel P. Uh, and Rachel J., thank you so much. See you Saturday. I will be at the 8 o'clock show. So I, I maybe you got me so enticed with that 10 o'clock show. I may stick around for the 10 o'clock show. Uh, and I'll take off my top hat. I think I'll be wearing the top hat for the eight o'clock show mm -hmm. and I'll stick around for the 10 o'clock show. So thank you very much, uh, Rachel J and Rachel P. And we're going to take a break. When we come back, Mark Sims will be with us. further ado i'm going to bring on the great mark sims otherwise known as mark t sims actually there's no t in that i just like to throw that in there uh, podcaster extraordinaire as like a, uh, as i li like to say all the time way back when 20 years ago uh, he had me on his show many many times nobody else would drag out an old lefty uh and mark sims did uh so now uh he's a guest on my show all the time mark sims welcome back cotter uh, ben, when are you going to be a guest on my little scrawny podcast? <laughs> I've been a guest so many times. No, but but I I, need, I haven't did a show like a month, man. I did one. I did one. I did a well. I have two shows. One of the other shows I did one today with uh, your buddy. Yes, the great Mick Dumkey. Mick Dumkey. I had yes. to pay him to do the show. <laughs> I mean, is that's what you going? You want you want want me to slip you fifty dollars to do the show? Pay hey, all. Uh... <laughs> Fifty dollars? You paid him fifty last time. You only gave me twenty-five. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> I wish uh, I wish I could pay my guests. That'd be pretty cool. So, uh, all right, uh, 
I called uh, Mark yesterday. We did the show yesterday on the phone. Uh, we were both fired up on many levels. We were talking about local Chicago politics. Uh, and um, as we head down the final stretch, uh, Brandon Johnson versus Paul Vallis. And uh, Jay Maul Green yesterday, uh, I think it was yesterday, I've lost track of time, Mark. Jay Maul Green uh, endorsed uh, Paul Vallis. Uh, and Jay Maul, of course, um, rose to prominence uh, in the really broke through, I think, in terms of um, citywide prominence uh, in the days after the release of the Laquan McDonald video, when it became apparent that Rahm Emanuel uh, was covering up evidence of murder. Uh, and the city was outraged or a protest. Jamal Green led some of those protests outside of Rahm Emanuel's house. Uh, he used that position of prominence to run for mayor in 2019. Uh, and uh, then he ran again this time. I think he got 2% of the vote, Mark, something like that, I think. I want to say about 2%, something like that. Uh, and then he uh, endorsed uh, Paul Ballas for uh, mayor of the city of Chicago. I think that it, most people would have been caught off guard by that. I mean, if you're just if you're a political junkie like you and me, Mark, maybe we're not caught off guard. But I think most Chicagoans be caught off guard. They would just assume that a person who rose to public prominence uh, denouncing the uh, concealment of evidence of murder uh, it, by police would not be part of the same group endorsing Paul Ballas that includes Anita Alvarez, uh, Gary Bigback, McCarthy uh, and the Fraternal Order of Police. That would, I think, I, I would think that would be the reaction of most Chicago voters who are not uh, utterly obsessed with Chicago politics. Uh, do you see it that way, young man, or how do you view it? Well, uh, thanks for having me on your fine broadcast, Mr. Jarofsky. <laughs> uh, most people don't give a damn about this election. You know, I think, what is it, about 30%? If we're lucky, 35% will come out? Yeah, <laughs> people they got the Netflix, they got the Tubies or whatever they got. I mean, they got. I saw so much content. Yeah, there was a you know when they, I, I, Chris. I'm looking at this picture of Chris. He looks very young in this picture, extremely young. Yeah, and when, they, when we hear about old folks talk about there was two, five, seven, and nine, and thirty two. There was only three news channels. <laughs> and this was before we had cable. Yeah, you know, it wasn't that long ago, but you know it was a time that you didn't have all this media. So people are distracted. They don't give a damn about, uh, although that was a great picture of uh, J. Maul Green <laughs> and Paul Vallis. And Paul Vallis had to, you, if you haven't seen this picture, people, go get it. Go find it. Paul Vallis has eaten this big old piece of chicken, <laughs> Harold's chicken, which is absolutely delicious. And Paul Vallis was up this chicken he was eating it i was like damn paul Vallis, save me some damn chicken man don't eat it all he, uh, he was tearing it up man and i was like damn man so i posted the picture i sent it to your email and i posted it on social media and i said uh, j maul green having chick eating fried chicken with paul Vallis and showing the picture this is how you get the african-american vote Stop it. fried chicken First of all, I'm not sure. Fried chicken. Wait, yeah. I'm going to look at the picture. Hold on. Let me look at that. No, but gotta... the picture's good. But what I'm saying, though, is that yeah. I, I don't blame J. Maul Green. I mean, I mean, you know me for a few while. I, I've always had weird jobs, and I quit jobs, and people don't like me, and I don't like them. And I, I mean, so I understand he's trying to get a damn job. <laughs> 
I mean, if I had, if I had any, Paul Vallis was on my podcast, I'm on my TV show, I'm sorry, my old TV show, Ben Drosky, it had to be maybe 22 years ago. I think it may have been 2001. It's so long I can't re really remember. He did my live show. That, oh, oh man, that picture's, that picture, people Paul. can't see this picture. This picture's, <laughs> He's picking in on his picture. That, that picture is, you gotta see Paul Vallis tearing his chicken up. And so the point is that uh, he oh, came on the show 20 something years ago by himself. I don't remember the damn show, it was a live show, but the point is that he did my podcast twice. And people got mad at me for having Paul Vallis on. I be, I'm begging people to do my, I, see, I'm not, I'm not Ben Jarofsky, senior writer for the Chicago Reader for over a damn near 40 years. Uh, in Chicago. I'm a freaking nobody. So I was happy to get Paul Vallis on. And so people took issue with me and they were like, you talking to Paul Vallis? And, uh, but it was a good show. He did two, he did two of my podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. Now I and I did ask Brandon Johnson, and he was uh he had Brandon Johnson had his TV radio show on your old uh, radio station. Remember that old radio station you used to work at? Yeah, well, uh, I can't remember. Now, now, you uh, had a great show, but you're not mainstream. Yeah, what was no. the whole thing? You was it called Primetime Players? What's the whole thing? Not uh, ready for primetime players, yeah, right? Yeah, that's SNL, me. right? Yeah, yeah, that's me. Uh, not ready for primetime SNL. Yeah, that's me. So, I mean, you were you were too too liberal for the liberal station. Yeah, <laughs> and so uh, you had a kick ass show, man. And uh, so the point I'm saying is that I tried to get W W whatever it was. So I tried to get w, Brandon Johnson. W, w we fire Ben. That's we fired Ben. Yeah, he fired your ass real good. <laughs> And, and so the uh, so so I try to get him on the show, and I just I send Facebook messages and stuff to people, and the, so it, if it, it may have, it may have been his people, but he, or either Brandon Johnson people said, "Cool, I'll do the show. Send me an email," and I sent the email, and uh, didn't get a response, which is cool. I got five listeners. I got five people listening. I get it, but I did have Paul on. I also had Arnie Duncan on. You know that backstory because there's a backstory to all this stuff, people. There's always backstories. And so, because they were probably thinking about running for mayor, and they did the show for their own. Everybody has a freaking agenda. I have an agenda. I think Chris. Hopefully, you got an agenda, Chris, and Ben over here. And this, I'm looking at Hollywood Squares and his little video thing. And so he, <laughs> so Ben has an agenda. Yeah. But Brandon didn't do the show, and I'm not mad at Brandon for not doing the show. But I, I on Facebook, I told people I got. I, let me show you this old, this old, this old now uh, podcast episode. The podcast is called Just a Few Questions, people at home. Just a few questions. Paul Vallis, just a few questions. You can pop, it'll pop right up. And so the point is that I'm just showing him, showing the people on, on the social media how I'm not mad at Brandon Johnson. There's probably a backstory to it that I don't know why he didn't do the show, but it show how why African Americans have so many issues because we're a funny people. Like I said, Paul and Arnie Duncan thought it was maybe thinking about running for mayor two years ago. They came on my little sorry ass podcast, but Brandon didn't. And I think, and I'm just guessing, I have a lot of black self-hatred. I get it. A lot of African-American self-hatred. And I, I admit it. I know I got issues. And he probably did a show that Negro ain't worth my time. But, and, and I, and I, so I had nothing against Brandon Johnson because this is politics. I'm go, right now, as of right now, I'm voting, going to vote for, uh, Brandon Johnson. Now, I'll stop talking and I'll tell you about why I may change, I may change my mind vote for Paul Vallis. We'll see what happens. I, I doubt that. Uh, I doubt well, that. I, I might. Yeah, but I doubt it. Uh, and what a bit. Uh, what a bit. What a bit. <laughs> well, you're the only one who you're the one. 
only one who will know for certain. That's right. That's why I'm going to win the bet. Yeah. So <laughs> unless you take a picture, take yeah. a picture of your ballot. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then, uh, you know, that you do that, then I'll believe you and I'll make the bet. Uh, other than that, it's just your wording. <laughs> bet, I swear to God, I uh, voted for Paul Vallis. You owe me lunch. But see, uh, I'm, I'm a kid because Paul Vallis did my TV show and no. my podcast. So I do like Paul Vallis on one level because he did my show. All right, and let me Betty put it Johnson to this did. But, so I, we, but I think, you know what I'm saying. Go ahead. It's politics. In, in, politics. In, uh, so in terms of what makes Chicago, Chicago, you have a greater uh, reason, in my humble opinion, a more reasonable reason uh, for voting for Paul Vallis than the declared one of Jamal Green. Now, I, listen, I, I read Jamal Green's explanation for why he's voting for endorsing Paul Vallis, and it makes less sense than your reason for if you were to vote for Paul Vallis. If you were to vote for Paul Vallis, uh, it would be a grudge. A right. grudge that Brandon Johnson didn't your, do your show and, Brand, right. and Paul Vallis did. And right. I can't argue with that. Right. I am very much a guy, as you know, oh, who yeah. has grudges. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, okay. And I hold them <laughs> for a while. And I inherited this from my dear mom. May you rest in peace, dear mom. So I understand the power of a grudge, yeah. Marcus T. Sims. Yeah. I get it. Okay. On the other hand, I am insanely loyal to people. Mark Sims had me on his show in the year 2000, and we're still friends. Okay. Yeah, but 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 but, but I, I do, hey, I'm a I'm a weird guest, but I'm fun. I'm a good yeah, guest. <laughs> so, but all right. So you would have a grudge. I don't think you will exercise that grudge. I think you will uh, vote for Brandon Johnson, even though he did not have you. Uh, on his show on that lame radio station whose name I can't remember. Oh, well, oh. well not, not even that. He he didn't come on my show. But but keep going, keep going. Yeah, about the other Paul. way around. And Paul, fried yeah, chicken. He, Bring yeah. the fried chicken back. So, okay, so there was no mention in the article uh, in the Sun Times of fried chicken. I'm, I'm almost <laughs> think that was a staged photo. <laughs> but he was really digging into that fried chicken. Oh yeah. Uh, and Paul Vallis was, you know, <laughs> that almost made me uh, like go in the direction of voting for him. Like, you know, I I love chicken too. Yeah. I don't think anybody loves chicken as much as I do yeah. uh, in the whole universe. And, uh, but here is his explanation, J. Miles Green's explanation. Uh, I will now read it to you from today's bright one, home delivered as always. You're welcome sometimes uh, for contributing to your cause. Uh, here we go. Uh, he's uh, uh, Jamal Green uh, in making his pick once again, denounced Johnson as a quote unquote fraud trying to quote use his family's home in the West Side's crime-ridden Austin community for his advantage. This is written by Sun-Times writer Franz Billman, and here's the quote. As someone who is trying to portray himself as like he's super Black and had these experiences, he's been disconnected from the Black community the whole time he's been in Chicago for the last 15 years since he moved from Elgin. That's why I took that personal. As somebody who is actually from the community who is experiencing these problems, who is dealing with gun violence and at-risk youth, it's personal to me when people use that suffering and pain and disinvestment for their own use when they really haven't experienced it and they really haven't fought to make it better. Uh, I, first of all, I don't think that's fair at all to Brandon Johnson. Uh, Brandon Johnson has spent the last 20 years of his uh, life on the front lines in the fight uh, against inequities. And uh, as for the, the issue of where he chooses to live and how he mentions it, uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on this, uh, Mark. Uh, Mark comes on this show all the time. One of his favorite themes when uh, Mark Sims comes on this show 
is to talk about how disconnected Northsiders are from the realities of what's going on uh, in high crime areas. And uh, it's truly, it's a compelling theme. And uh, I like my listeners to hear it, think about it. Mark teases me because I go for walks. He goes, I can't do that in my neighborhood because I'll get shot at. I come right back and go, well, come on, walk with me. Well, folks have been shot and killed in your neighborhood. Yeah, they have been. Yeah. But the point is, Mark, it's like you can't win universe. So Brandon Johnson lives in Austin. That's where he chose to live. He bought a house in Austin. He's raising his children in Austin, neighborhood on the west side of Chicago. And somehow or other, that is considered fraudulent in the mind of J. Maul Green. I I don't know why. I I'm I listen, this is even harder to connect than the whole issue of wokeness that we just talked about before. I do not understand, Mark, why it's fraudulent of Brandon Johnson to own a property, own a house in Austin, raise his family in Austin, and then talk about that in the campaign in the context of explaining why he is sensitive to uh, crime issues. You know, he's under siege from uh, the right and from Paul Vallis uh, and from various uh, other politicians that he he doesn't take serious the reality of crime in Chicago. And then he says, I live in a high crime area. I take it very serious. And then he goes, you just live in a high crime area. So you can say you live in a high crime area so that you could go get votes. I, I don't know, Mark. That's like a real no win situation. Uh, I think that's kind of unfair. Your thoughts, young man. And it is unfair to some degree, but I like I I I I used to do a lot of clips. I used to make clips from C-SPAN when I had cable back when I got rid of cable. When I had cable, you could do it now. You go on C-SPAN, you can make little clips. You see something on C-SPAN, and you can make a clip of it. I made this great clip of um, of uh, what's his name, um, Henry Louis Gates Jr. Henry Louis Gates Jr. You see him on the on the genealogy show on PBS. I'm paraphrasing. African-Americans, if you will, black people have been arguing about who's black and how to be black ever since we got here. You're not black like me. I'm blacker than you. I'm real black. So that's part of that dynamic. And I understand that, right? I mean, my high yellow behind walks in the room. I don't, ha- I lose all credibility. I don't have the bone feeties as an average Negro because my skin is lighter than a brown paper bag. So people n- n- automatically don't trust me. And I, I don't sing, I don't dance, I don't believe in, I'm, a, I'm, I'm not a religious person. And so I'm, I'm not black for most people, I'm not black. I'm not black enough for a day behind. I'm not mulatto, but I sure as hell ain't black for most black people. I understand that because I, so, I mean, over the years I understand, finally understood my, when I was younger, I didn't understand my people, but I understand my people now, okay? That's a part of it. The other part of it that J-Maul doesn't talk about is that he needs a, he needs a damn job. I live right near his campaign office. I go by his campaign office every day on 87th and Halstead, right? Every freaking day I go past it. The bus is gone. The big bus he had, the big green bus is gone, but the campaign office, ain't nobody in there, but it's 87th and Halstead. Go by it every day. And uh, so he needs a damn job, which I totally understand. He's 27 years old. He got probably got bills to pay. He probably got to pay for that damn bus, the big green, <laughs> J-Mall green bus. But back in the day, I hope I'm not stepping on any toes because I... 
I know, I mean, I like Paul Vallis, you know, he's a nice person, okay? Human being, okay? So human being is cool. But I used to hear back in the day, Ben, that if you were activists against the public schools, when Paul Vallis was in charge, you go to Paul Vallis and he'd get you a job. And now you quiet. <laughs> You're quiet now because you because Paul Vallis got a job. Now you ain't you ain't barking at the public school because Paul Vallis ain't gave you the hookup. So evidently Paul Vallis is still in, remember he's he'll be seven, he's nine years older than me. So he'll be 70, I think, this year. And so he's he's part of that old school. Hey, you 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 guys, oh, you oh, you need a job, don't you? You, you run in your mouth. You what you need. This is the Chicago way. You run in your mouth, you're gonna get we get you a job, you're gonna shut up when I get you this job. <laughs> and so and I so I I I get it. It's okay. Jay Moss should say, you know what? Paul Vallis promised me a job. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And that's and if and Roderick Sawyer. I mean, he, I mean, I, I mean, I get it. I have nothing against Roderick Sawyer. He, I mean, he's probably looking for a damn job. He was making a hundred something G's uh, as, as all the person. He probably looking for another job paying him 150 G's. You know what I'm saying? I, I never made half that in a lifetime. Yeah. So I understand shit. I'm, I'm sorry for cursing, but <laughs> I need to go get, if I had any kind of skill, I would have forget Brandon Johnson. I had Paul Vallis on the show. I said, Paul Vallis, please give me a damn job. Sure, Mark, we get your job. Just sell your people out. I sell my people out for $150,000. <laughs> you know? I'm not saying they are, but you know what I'm saying? This is, I mean, I know this ain't the plantation politics from back in the day. And the younger people, including me, need to go do the research on plantation politics. But we all need a damn job. Yeah. So it's okay. It's all good. I, I'm not. I'm at the stage where I would, when I, a younger Mark Sims would criticize a J. Maul Green and a Roderick Sawyer and a Jesse White. There was a guy on WVON years ago, one of the calls, he would always say, reference Jesse White as, Jesse, is he white? <laughs> And I have, and I met Jesse White years ago. I like Jesse White. I have all respect for him, but they would say, Jesse, is he white? Because he's an old school politician that will go along with the Democratic Party. And I would be one of those Negroes 20, 30 years ago would criticize Jesse White and the rest of them. But I'm too old for that now. So, you know, we got you know to- what? It's the, you being old is really funny to me. Because the joke is, uh, I just break we're on a tangent here. Mark loves to point out how much older I am than him. He loves you are to, older. You are I, older. You are older. That's why I call him young man. You old. You old, Because he's old. always telling me how much you're old, man. He'll be like, you know, Ben, I probably don't remember that. Like you would remember this. I was younger than you. So I always call him young man because he's been doing that place jump for 20 years. All right. <laughs> Reminding me how much older I am. But now you're I just old, realized man. you cracked 60. I didn't yeah. realize that. Wow. I told you that last I told you last you show. Got, was, yeah. Did you? Yeah. I forgot. So I, be, I say I've been around a while. <laughs> and so and, and so and 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 uh, I I'm not an expert. I'm not a scholar. But I've been in Chicago all my freaking life. So I don't remember all the stuff, but we do have the damn computers now. So if I want to look up plantation politics, I want to look up something back in the past. And you always learn something new about Chicago. And that's why the T and and don't get me started. I mean, well, let me just all right. Stop. So the, I can't remember. It's the last time Mark was on the show or the time before. I can't remember. It's all coming together. But uh, he laid out, he went on a riff about the fact that there were, I could do this from memory now, there were nine candidates in the race uh, the first round before we whittled it down to uh, Ballas and Brandon Johnson. And there were one Hispanic, one white man, and seven uh, black men. Uh, excuse me, seven black candidates. One was a woman. And you and he went on a whole riff, which I urge everybody to listen to. And then I that 
uh, evolved into the Mark Sims question for about two weeks in this show. Everybody got the Mark Sims question, which is why are there so many black candidates running and only one white guy running? And uh, I won one Latino with a Tino. Yes. It wasn't a Latina running. And so, you know, and this is why Dallas, I'm sorry, cutting you off, Ben. This no, is but why Dallas, Dallas got what, 5% of the vote last, four years ago? Yes. Now he, now, I think Brandon Johnson can beat Paul Valvis. But the point is that he has a, Paul Valvis has a really good chance of running, becoming mayor of Chicago. Only for one reason. He's the only Greek guy, European American running, period. Period. Yeah. And uh, I, when you said that to me, I just suddenly saw the world differently. Now, this is an admission of uh, naivete on my part. I actually did believe that Chicago had moved on uh, from, oh God, I'm embarrassed to even say this. I actually did believe that Chicago had moved on from just that uh, like white fear of black power. I actually thought Chicago had moved on. And then when you went on that riff, uh, I realized Chicago uh, hadn't moved on. I took the connection. I go, you know, white people at some point are going to wake up and go, oh, my God, there's only one white person running. And we can take back City Hall. And I do believe that's a driving force, not with every single white voter in the city of Chicago. But as I said yesterday, uh, Mark, when I saw I read about the clips of people at the uh, St. Patrick's Day Parade on the Southwest Side chanting and cheering Paul Vallis. I said, there is a segment in this city that views this as a take back moment. And because um, you don't cheer politicians in parades. It's very rare. They usually get booed. Uh, it's like that's kind of Chicago thing. We boo our politicians. We boo our mayors. When you're chanting and cheering, you're sending out a different message. And I know there'll be resistance from people when they hear me say this, and I could just hear the resistance coming already. Uh, but I think uh, that was that was a moment of like awakening with Chicagoans, Mark, where they realized, oh my God, uh, seven black candidates, one white person, we're in. And uh, I just, it's interesting. I um, why is so many black people run for mayor of the city of Chicago? That was the question that you put out there. I don't know. You still don't have an answer, do you? Or do you have an answer? I, no, I, I don't have an answer. But the, my, my thing is also is that we as a people, like I said earlier, and that's what I always harp on because we are descendants of the slaves. And uh, we, well, oh, so you want to tell the your your Herb Washington story you told me yesterday? Uh, which Crabs one? in a barrel? Oh, my goodness. Uh, um, yeah. yeah, wow. So, uh Harold Washington, the great Harold Washington, uh, did an interview with me. St. Patrick's Day. It was on St. Patrick's Day uh, in uh, 1987, I want to say. Uh, I can't remember when it was. I Man, it's the 80s. Uh, and he went on this riff, uh, and he was talking about uh, he was talking about uh, black politicians, well, black people in general. He went on this riff, and he said there are like crabs in a crab barrel. If they see one crawling out of the barrel they reach up and they pull it back down into the barrel that was harold washington i'd never heard that metaphor before uh so that's what harold washington told me it's, a, it's an old metaphor in, in the african-american community and some people say we're using the crabs in the barrel man um, metaphor incorrectly but that's not the point 
we do have a crabs in the barrel mentality. People got to understand. People, I, I've argued with people, even family members who, who get on me about mentioning that we're descendants of the slaves because black folks are so hurt. And like all people, we all hurt on some level. I get it, but we have the special hurt because we are descendants of the slaves. Mark Sims was born one less than a hundred years after slavery. Think about that. I had grandparents and great grandparents that were that were born. 35, you know, 40 years after slavery. That slave mentality is with us. This country's never got over slavery. So we still had this crabs in a barrel mentality. And we just couldn't say, you know what, well, like I told you last show, you could make a case for Brandon Johnson because he had the CTU and SEIU money. He had union money. Okay. You could make a case for Brandon. The rest of them was just up in their, their brand. I won't even suggest they were paid because you know this stuff better than I do. You always, you've heard stories of how this black candidate was paid to run for mayor or told to run for mayor. It's all a big game. They used to hear that kind of stuff. You don't know how true it was, but you used to hear it. So, 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 so the plantation politics, crabs in the barrel, all these dynamics were. And, and when I tell folks, when I've been on your show for years and I beg people, why don't you roll through Roseland, go through Inglewood? You're like, what the hell is this? Part of that the, the disintegration of the black neighborhoods in Chicago is partly racism and partly our slave mentality. Because like, I mean, like let me go, I mean, it's kind of weird here. I was talking about my neighbor, I was talking about my neighborhood to be, with Ben. A man was shot. I can almost, I can, if I wanted to, I'm lazy and I'm scared too. If I wanted to, I could walk to the Walmart on 83rd and, um, and um, with a Stewart Holland Drive, 83rd Street, right? Mm -hmm. I can walk to the, freaking Walmart. Man was shot. A 51-year-old man was shot. Yes, it probably was an isolated incident. Now, you know about this uh, uh, South Asian, I used to say Indian. I think Romano Hussein got me to start saying South Asian instead of Indian, right? Indian dude from, uh, from, uh, from uh, uh, what, what, IIT, I get a mix of IIT, ITT, whatever. <laughs> the school, Institute of Technology down on 35th Street, right? So he was going to get like a router, he came from 35th Street, whatever, a student from, uh, from the Institute on 35th Street. He came to get a router looking for the Walmart on 83rd and, at night. I just said, dude, he's 22 years old. I said, dude, you don't go to Walmart at night. You don't go there, man. You on your own. He was walking and got killed by like, like a 16-year-old. This is Chicago. And uh, we've and uh, let me say a little sound bite. Here's your sound, here's, here's the money sound bite. Chicago's had a Negro problem for over 100 years. And Paul Vallis may end that problem, that Negro problem, in about four. <laughs> that is Mark Sims speaking, not Ben Jarofsky, just to make that clear. Uh, that is Mark Sims, M-A-R-C, Sims. <laughs> okay, yeah, C, not K. Because uh, I'm saying, because we need somebody to end this crime. And I, how are you going to end the crime? One way to, to end the crime is to move poor Black people out of Chicago. Whether you tear the projects down, make it hard, whatever you want, whatever. But so you you have to move poor black people out of this town to the south suburbs. I mean, they had, I mean, they got shootings. The Walmart closed down. Uh, the wall. I told you this last night because I don't have a lot of friends out in the south suburbs because most of the Negroes used to live in the city. They moved to the south suburbs. We know that, right? So the point they had a, the Walmart on eighty on the one hundred seventy fifth of Halsted, right near the, where the new casino is about to be built. That Walmart closed down. And I don't really, and I asked somebody, I said, what's wrong with the Walmart? Oh, that's so ghetto. These are black, that's how we talk. That's the ghetto Walmart. I don't go there. It's too ghetto. This is how the fuck is, I mean, excuse me, it's in the damn suburbs. 
The Walmart is ghetto. Because, you know, when you go north of the expressway, it's Harvey. You go south of the expressway, it's like East Hazelcrest and Homewood. So, I'm, so what I'm saying, though, is that we have a problem as a people. I'm not saying we're all criminals. I get it. Because black people, why you always talk about, somebody said on Facebook, like, Mark, you're always talking about the negative, the negative aspects of African-American life. Yeah, because I can't walk down the freaking street. <laughs> uh, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, you caught me off guard with that last riff. Um, you sent me, not to change the subject, but to change the subject, uh, a clip. And I really want to play this clip. And I remember the clip when it because I saw the movies from Sicko, the Michael Moore movie documentary about healthcare. From I forget when that movie came out. It was in the O's. I've lost track. But it it applies to Chicago in uh, 2023. Uh, and I'll do the setup. All right, Mark. So in the last go around, I believe the turnout was roughly 34 percent, 35 percent, something like that, which is pathetic and uh i know people in chicago are capable of going out to vote because the turnout for the presidential election as i like to point out was much higher like in the 70s somewhere uh it's still not the uh, 80 something percent turnout we had in the glorious election of 1983 uh when harold washington was triumphant but it's still higher so it shows that chicagoans are capable of voting but for the last few mayoral elections, it's become pretty obvious that roughly 65% of the voting eligible population has checked out. They're not going to participate. They, they're just, they don't participate in the February 1st go around and they don't participate in the April runoff. And this is just a reality that we're dealing with that the future of the city it's going to be determined by 35% of the voting uh, eligible population and 65% will not be participating in it. And so we will see the consequences with people like Lori Lightfoot as our mayor. Uh, if all the experts are correct, Paul Vallis is our next mayor and Rahm Emanuel is our mayor in 2015. So I've mentioned this uh, to, to Mark many times. We've had this conversation and he has always uh, alluded to a clip from the movie Sicko and the interview with Tony Benn, a socialist from England. This, uh, so this is a British man, you'll see by here, you'll know by the accent, talking about why people vote and why they don't vote. And so producer Chris, play the clip. I think democracy is the most revolutionary thing in the world, far more revolutionary than socialist ideas or anybody else's idea, because if you have power, you use it to meet the needs of you and your community. And this idea of choice, which uh, capital talks about all the time, you've got to have a choice. Choice depends on the freedom to choose. And if you're shackled with debt, you don't have a freedom to choose. It seems like it benefits the system if the average working person is shackled yes, with and debt. People in debt become hopeless and hopeless people don't vote so they will say should everyone should vote but i think if the poor in britain or the united states turned out and voted for people who represented their interests it would be a a real democratic revolution and so they don't want it to happen so keeping people hopeless and pessimistic see i think there are two ways in which people are controlled first of all frighten people and secondly demoralize them an educated, healthy, and confident nation is harder to govern. 
And I think there's an element in the thinking of some people. We don't want people to be educated, healthy and confident because they would get out of control. <laughs> the top 1% of the world's population own 80% of the world's wealth. It's incredible that people put up with it, but they're poor, they're demoralised, they're frightened and therefore they think perhaps the safest thing to do is take orders and hope for the best. Yeah, that's Tony Benn, uh, well over 20 years ago, long before the concept of uh, the 1% uh, was introduced. And um, if you want to keep uh, people uh, out of democracy, you frighten them and you demoralize them. And I'll tell you what, uh, Mark, thank you for sh uh, sending that to me because really nothing speaks about the Chicago electorate today quite like frightened and demoralized. I could go on and on, but uh, your thoughts. I post, I've been posting that Tony Ben soundbite for years. Now, I only, I only have a handful of people who see me on Twitter. Twitter's useless for what I use Twitter, posting stuff. The algorithm's not going to put it out there because the algorithms are not, that's, they ain't designed that way. So only a handful of people actually do it. Even the Brandon Johnson, I see more Brandon Johnson supporters on Twitter than I do Facebook. And these are liberals, you know, what they call progressives or something. And I post it all the time. And I'm trying to tell them, if you want Brandon to win, you got to get the poor, the demoralized, the hopeless people to vote. They don't get it because they don't. So many people don't live in these neighborhoods. Now Brandon Johnson could win if you if you love Brandon Johnson. You got this. And I was talking to someone. Well, I was talking to people. I talked to people, right? And in Chicago, we make it easy. You can vote by mail. You can never leave your house and vote. You can vote early. You can vote. You don't have to vote at the local school down the street anymore. We make it. We take. They've taken away all excuses not to vote. And the people are like, hey, I don't know no Brandon Johnson. I only remember when when uh, Paul Vaz was uh was uh, running the schools. In fact, I wasn't even born when he was running the schools. I don't give a damn because no matter who's mayor, my life is. I I'm not I'm not J. Maul Green getting a job if Paul Vallis wins. So no matter who wins, my life is not going to change. So why should I waste five minutes or a half an hour out of my life to go down and vote or vote by mail? Here we are. Yeah, I um, my life is not going to change. Yeah, that's the conclusion many people uh, have reached. And of course, the other part is the frightened part. Uh, the frightened people are people who are motivated by fear to vote for certain candidates. Uh, so that's a, a huge part of where we're at right now in the city of Chicago. Uh, fear is a strong motivation. And I understand the fear, Mark. I truly do understand the fear. Uh, there's too much crime in the city. There's too many guns in the city. We all know that, and um, so I understand. Uh, no, let me. I tell you, I tell you a quick story. I mean, I don't tell you the long version. I tell you the short version. Last year, I was at. It was about seven thirty at night. This is the short version of the story. I was seven thirty at night, ninety uh, fifth and Jeffrey, and this is a part of town. Depending on where you live, you don't even know this part of town exists. Okay, it's only minutes from Indiana, so far south, right? So ninety fifth and Jeffrey, and the guys, the young men, whatever, they started shooting. And Ben, I've seen shootings before. I've seen people get shot. This time, the gun was so loud. It was like 15, 20 shots. And for a second, Ben, I thought, this is how my life is going to end. It's going to end. I'm going to get hit. Because cars got hit. Bullets were flying. 
And for half a second, I bet I was scared. I was really freaking scared. And so that was, I, it was right in front of my damn face. So you imagine you're in Lincoln Park or whatever, and uh, whatever, Logan Square, and people, and you're like, no, this is unacceptable. But this stuff been going on out here in the hood for years, for years. And so now you're scared. Now you got up off of Paul Vallis. But the point is that all the criminals, probably most of the criminals in Chicago has probably gone through the Chicago public schools. We don't have a system in this country. Uh, we don't have a, a social safety net to say, and I wish Brandon Johnson would say this, because this is, it, this is a five, 10, 20 year process. You can see results in about five, but it's a 10, you know, it, it takes time where no one leaves the public schools to drop out and they're, you know, they're going to go into a life of crime. I know that's that's magical thinking, that's utopia, that's Pollyannish, but that's the whole goal. See, I've gone through the public schools. My children gone through the public schools. Your children went to the public schools. That not on the south side though, but the old children go to the public schools. And I'm telling you, you know, the point is that, and you know, and the point is that you can stop the crime. You really can, but we don't have a system that allows it. And I, I wish Brandon Johnson said, we're going to change the system. We're not going to have it. We're not going to let the young man or young lady, whoever it is, we're going to let them, you know, just go through the system and just be, I'm going to be a criminal. No, we're going to take those options away from you. We're going to stop it. Utopia is the goal. And let's talk about it. Let's move forward. Utopia is the goal. Uh, I would never think of utopia any at any moment in my life associated with the city of Chicago, uh, but that is, I guess, the goal. Uh, the school that uh, uh, Mark Sims went to, Fenger High, is very proud of that. Uh, and uh, but, but I always say I went to Ryder Elementary School from uh, 87th for Halstead, 67 to 76, 67 to 76. And that's what they did me in. Okay, the public school. And it's, and it's, it, oh no, no, it's the system. The system is not des It's designed to have somebody sweep the floors, to drive the bus, to be there. It's nothing wrong with that. The system is designed, and I'm saying with, with all the uh, AI is coming out, and the world is changing. It's always constantly changing. The way they you you do public schools should change. The outcomes should change. Things should change. Now I'm not poly. I'm not a nut to say if you equally fund the education, you're gonna get equal outcomes. It the world don't work that way, okay? Because those first five to seven years of that child's life is the most important. I mean, because yeah. after that first five or seven, the public schools and everybody else is just uh, rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. All right. Uh, I will let uh, Mark have the last word on the public schools of Chicago. This is a debate that's been going on between the two of us since approximately 2001. Wow. Let's just think about that for a moment. And, and don't uh, get me started about the teachers union, too. That's yeah, I, I know. Oh my you God. love the teachers union. Let me go off on that. I ain't go, I'm not today. Next year, I'll go off on the teachers union. Next show. Not next year. Next show. Next You're going to be back before the year's on. Okay. Yeah. Mark Sims, uh, guest on the Ben Jaroska show about once a month. And uh, so the next time uh, you come on the show, the election uh, will be over. That's, I think, if the calendar is correct. Uh, so we will uh, leave with your prediction. Our guests must make a prediction on the Ben Jarofsky show. I can't remember what your last prediction was. That's the problem with me and my prediction. No, I, I, I told you that we, we agreed Valif is going to get in. Well, we yeah. didn't know who was going to. But we pretty much say that Lori is probably one going to get in, and she didn't. Yeah. And, wow. and the point is that, and, and, she, and for a lot of good reasons, we can talk about that forever. I think Vallis, logically Vallis should win. 
But that Chicago is, has a bunch, it's like income inequalities in Chicago is like most of the country. You have a lot of poor working class people in Chicago. They should come out and vote for Brandon Johnson. Brandon wins. So I think on one level, Brandon should win. But the establishment does not want Brandon to win. They want Paul to win. So logically, you would say Paul was going to win. But if the vote is uh, close to 40% or 40 or close to 40, um, uh, Brandon wins. If it stays at 32% or so, Paul wins. Mm. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, I think you're right on with your uh, spot on with your analysis. And uh, uh, again, I'll repeat what I've said all week before we close. Uh, whenever I talk to somebody who is a journalist, a working journalist in the city of Chicago, or whenever I talk to someone who's not a journalist, but is just sort of like centers uh, at the center, I'm absolutely, I come away absolutely convinced that Paul Vallis will be victorious. And whenever I talk to a lefty, I'm like, wow, Brandon has a chance. Because I got to tell you this, Mark, unless they're fooling me, you know what I mean? The lefties really believe that Brandon will win. Uh, and um, the polls I see are interesting because and I, I'll close where I began. You didn't hear my opening riff, but I'll, I'll close where I began. I believe, based on their remarks in that last uh, forum that uh, Eric Zorn and Laura uh, Washington moderated when they talk about public safety, the way Brandon Johnson moved away from defund and the way Paul Vallis moved away from lock them up, take off the handcuffs, their attitude toward policing, that their internal polls show that neither of them has uh, the election in the bag and that they have to move to win over undecided voters to get that vote. That's the Peter Cunningham analysis and I believe PC is correct. Uh, and uh, I do believe uh, that it's a wide open. Uh, it's right now, it's, we, it's, it's neither camp is certain of victory uh, and it's that undecided vote it's going to sway things, or maybe it's the vote that they know what they're going to do, but they won't admit it. That's that's that old game, you know what I'm saying, Mark? Uh, so very much. I, I make no predictions because what's the good of making a prediction on a Thursday if I wake up Friday, Mark? <laughs> I have a different worldview, different prediction on Friday. So I'll just let uh, Mark's prediction stand. All right, Mark, tell folks about your podcast, where they can, with the name of it and your latest guest. Go. Just type, just type in just a few questions. Mark Sims, Chicago. Mark with a C and Sims with one M. Uh, just a few questions. And you want to know, uh, the other podcast is uh, 400 plus, meaning that African-Americans have been here for 400 years. And I, and so, uh, you know, I talk, Afri I talk the same issues, but from a slightly more African-American perspective, which is not that different than I do on the show, but it's like TTW has black voices, Latino voices in the regular, it's the same damn show, but you do have to talk about black issues because most black people like like Monroe Addison says, they want to hear black issues. They really do. And, and here's a little caveat. When I listen to your show, I get the impression most of your liberal friends live north of Madison Avenue, okay? So they see the world differently, okay? And I'm out here in the hood and, and, and I'm like, Ain't nobody, I mean, they could come out the boat, but ain't nobody, this, this is not Harold Washington. I know history does not repeat itself. It rhymes, Mark Twain, I get it. But I don't remember, remember people were alive in 1983. If this town was on fire, this town was in, as, it had so much, it was crackling with energy. It ain't crackling with energy now. It's a different town. 
Brandon could win and Paul Vallis could win, but I don't see the energy on the South side for Brandon. Uh, because I think of younger people, especially post-civil rights generations, if you will, they're like, huh? I don't care if the black man mayor. We've had a black president. What did that get us? You know what I'm yeah. saying? So we'll see. We will see. Yeah, it's definitely a different time than 1983. Uh, by the way, if you go listen to his uh, podcast, if you're going to listen to one, in my humble opinion, uh, I would urge the Aaron Freeman one, which is <laughs> Aaron Freeman, a comedian. It's very funny in many levels. Uh, and it's vintage Mark Sims. I was just going to say that. Vintage Aaron Freeman, but vintage Mark Sims uh, in that interview. So if you're going to listen to just one, in my humble opinion, listen to the Aaron Freeman one. All right, very good. Thank you very much, Mark Sims. Uh, always a pleasure talking to you. Uh, I'd also want to thank producer Chris for doing an outstanding job. Always, always, always give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. Don't forget, you can catch previous Ben Jarofsky shows, download Benny J bonus interviews, and get more great content from The Ben Jarofsky Show at chicagoreader.com. And find more from Benjamin all over the internet on your favorite streaming and podcasting platforms. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.